Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for October the 18th, 2023, and I am delighted to have this time with you. And again, I hope that your week is going very well. Uh, this devotional is for Wednesday, so if you're in the Spotswood area, come on out tonight, 645 in Providence Hall here. We are continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, our in-depth study in the book of Hebrews. So I'd encourage you to come out if you can for that. Now, where we find ourselves today is just making our way through. Today, we will actually finish Acts chapter 14, and we are really moving, covering large pieces of Acts. It's not that there isn't important things in what we're covering, but it's narrative, right? We're, we're reading the story of the Acts of the Apostles, but it's fascinating some of the things that we find. Take a couple of days ago, that principle that the gospel is divisive. Take yesterday when we were with Paul and Barnabas, and they tried to, to say that, that, that Barnabas was, was, uh, Zeus and Paul was Hermes and, and, you know, all of this crazy stuff. And you see Paul and Barnabas' response in that they're, they're saying, wait, we're just men. That's all we are. We're not Zeus. We're not Hermes. We're not the highest of your pantheon. We're just men that have been redeemed. And we're bringing you that message of redemption. You know, Greeks, Romans, they had all these gods and goddesses for every single portion of society, for crops, for you name it. And so they're saying to them, look, hey, this is your opportunity to abandon all of these worthless gods and goddesses and instead put your faith in Jesus. Trust in the Lord, the one who made everything in the earth. Now, if you recall, things didn't go so well. Paul and Barnabas shortly thereafter. Jews came in, and like I said a couple of days ago, the gospel unites, either uniting people under it for the sake of Christ or against it for those at enmity with Christ. The Jews showed up. They were able to persuade the crowds, and, and Paul and Barnabas went from being Zeus and Hermes to uh, Paul being nearly stoned to death. In fact, they, they stoned him, they drug him out of the city, they thought he was dead, but then the disciples gathered around, he got up and he went back into the city. And where we left things yesterday was with the statement that the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, that, again, this is just the story, right? It's, it's the acts of the apostles, okay? So we're reading the history of what took place Read between the lines. We're seeing the early church being built. We're seeing different installations, different pockets of believers all around Paul and Barnabas's missionary journeys. Now, today is fascinating because today we kind of come to, I don't want to call it the end of the missionary journey, but in terms of expansion, we see that, that Paul and Barnabas are really making their loop, and now they're going to start coming back around. And when they do, they're going to check on believers. Obviously, they're going to meet with them, right? Because in all of these places we've been reading about, we've been reading about Jews that have become angry and want to kill them. But we've also been reading about people that have converted to Christianity. Now they're looping back around. They're still on their journey, right? This is still part of their work. But they're looping back around to these established pockets of believers, these established churches, and they're going to do something with them. And it's something that delights my soul. Why do I say that? Because I'm a Presbyterian minister. That's why. And you might say, well, what does Presbyterian have to do with Acts chapter 14? Well, let's pray and we'll find out. 
Our God and our Father, as we come to you now, we come facing a deficit. We um, we come with our own prejudices, our, our own preconceived notions, our own baggage. We come even with the uh, the deficit of knowing that this is your word, but we need spiritual help. We, we need the illumination of your Holy Spirit so that we would see, so that we would understand. So please guide us now. Let us see the beauty of the establishment of your church, how your son and our savior kept his promise to build his church. Let us see that beauty and let us also see how your church is to be built, how your church is to be run. Father, give us wisdom now and guide us by the Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up today is in Acts chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 21, and it says they preached the good news in that city. Now, what city? Rewind. At the end of verse 20, we read that the next day, he, meaning Paul and Barnabas, left for Derby. Now, verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now you get the paradigm here, right? They made it as far as Derby. They're preaching the good news. People come to know the Lord, and that's when they make their turn. And they go back to these established churches. But the fascinating thing is they're not seen as individual, independent pockets of believers. Instead, they're just considered the church, y'all. Definitely they are in their own particular localities, but they're still just considered the church. So they make the term, they go back to all of these places that we've been reading about all along, right? Iconium, Lystra, Antioch. And in verse 22, it says they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now you might say, well, how do they do that? Well, continue reading. They encouraged them in the faith by what they said. We must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, I want to be careful about something here. Please do not misread this. And again, this is verse 22. They're strengthening, they're encouraging. And the statement that they are making is that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This in no way, shape, or form is Paul and Barnabas saying anything about working your way to heaven. This is, this is hardships, right? This is not tasks to be completed. This is not requirements to be met. This is not a matter of working into Christianity. They're already Christians. They're already redeemed. What Paul and Barnabas are doing is simply pointing out the nature of Christianity in that Christians are persecuted. Take your pick, y'all. You know, go back to John chapter 15, right? Read John 15. Jesus uses that metaphor saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But also along the same lines of that strong bond between Jesus as Savior and his people as his disciples, Jesus also warns the disciples there in John 15 and in so many other places. John 15, Mark 8, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and die daily, right? John 15, he talks about this paradigm of master and servant. He's the master. 
We are called to be his servants. And he says, guys, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but he says, guys, look, if they persecute me, if they come after me, don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. If they come after the master, they're certainly going to come after the servants. So Jesus is warning them there, but he's also informing them. Rewind much further than that. Jesus talks about the blessings that await those who are persecuted for his name's sake. It doesn't mean that persecution earns salvation. Instead, what Jesus is doing, what Paul and Barnabas are doing here, is they're pointing to the fact that if you are saved, you are then open to the persecution of the world around you. As those who belong to Christ, we are to reflect the light of Christ. And remember what John 1 says about that light, that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness sought to overcome it. Y'all, nothing has changed with that. You want to know what the world's problem is with Christianity? It's that we're light in a dark world, at least we're called to be. And the world that accepts certain segments of Christianity, they're not Christianity at all. The world accepts certain groups that call themselves churches, all this inclusive garbage. Y'all, it's because they're just as dark as the world around them, if not darker. But those who truly stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ will face persecution. And in fact, what Paul and Barnabas are not talking about, they're not talking about earning your way into heaven. What they're talking about is the things that are going to take place before you get there. Now, what does that have to do with you and me in modern day America? At least most of y'all are in America that are watching this, though some of you aren't. Well, y'all, the reality is, is that we enjoy such freedom here. And along with it, so many times we squander it. You hear about what Christians go through in other countries just to come to church, just to, to gather together and worship the Lord. You know, that they'll travel 30 miles by foot at, 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 and their life is in danger. We won't drive 30 miles in the rain to attend church. You know, I mean, it's, it, it, and I'm not trying to, to, to blow something up here or come down hard or anything like that, but y'all, just because we enjoy freedom, it doesn't always mean that's a blessing. In, in fact, sometimes it is our freedom that leads to this apathetic attitude about Christianity, that Christianity can just be a compartment of life. It's not like that in other parts of the world, where if you choose to follow Christ, if he saves you, then you're changed. You really are changed because you can't go back to your former life. Nevertheless, that's what Paul and Barnabas are talking about here. It's not about working your way to heaven. It's not about if bad things happen to you for Jesus, that guarantees you're going to get into heaven. It's not about that. It's about the fact that suffering, now, I preached on this a few weeks ago, but suffering is the product of Christianity. That's what makes some of these messages that go on out there so horrible, so hellish, and I use that term in its truest sense because it's the theology of hell. Your Joel Osteen's, your word of faith pastors out there, your pastors out there, right, in quotes, that they teach this garbage that, that, that Jesus wants you to be happy and, and healthy and prosperous and all of these different things. And in fact, we will be those things, but in glory with him. 
Think about what we've read that Paul has endured. Where did we leave him yesterday? They stoned him to death, or at least they thought they did, and they drug him outside of the city to die, or they thought he was dead, and he wasn't. That's just one example of so many times where the Apostle Paul did not experience what the world considers prosperity for the sake of Christ. And so for, for pastors out here to be talking about your best life now, I think it was Vody Balkum who appropriately said, if you're living your best life now, that means you're going to go to hell when you die because your best life is not in this life. No, not at all. Instead, the calling of Christianity is to suffer. Why else in Mark 8 would Jesus have said, take up your cross and die daily? That's what they're indicating here. So they encourage them right, through pointing to the nature of Christianity, this faith that, that, that they are a part of now. But they also encourage them another way. I think I forgot about the Presbyterian statement before. You might say, okay, what does this have to do with anything? Well, continue reading. As soon as it talks about it, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, guys, I'm excited about this because you might say, okay, fine, elders, what does that have to do? If you read the Greek, right? Remember, we're, we're reading in English translation in God's word. But when you read the actual Greek text, you see something fascinating. You, you see a particular word that is used to describe these men that Paul and Barnabas... Now, this is the NIV, and it says appointed elders. A better translation of this is help them choose elders, Okay, so it's this idea of the people choosing their elders and Paul and Barnabas vetting candidates, right? It's, uh, the appointed is, is not exactly a, a, a really good translation. What they did was they went around to all the different places that we've been reading about, Iconium, all these different places, and they helped the churches that were established there choose elders. Now, this is one of the first places in the New Testament that we find out about this, and especially this dynamic. But the dynamic is simple. Paul and Barnabas are missionaries. They go and they preach the word. People come to know the Lord. A church is established, and then on their way back through, Paul and Barnabas established elders. God gave the office of elder. And before you say, well, yeah, but, you know, lots of different denominations can have elders. And that I remember growing up and my wife was was raised Baptist and this is not a slide against Baptists at all. But back in the day, a Baptist elder, you, you, you never heard of that. It was always deacons that ran things. Now they have elders. But the fascinating thing is when you look at the Greek text, the word for elder is presbyteros, right? Or presbyteroi, right? It, it, that's where we get the word presbyterian. Okay, and you might say, yeah, but what does that prove? Well, at this juncture, admittedly, you might say, okay, you know, it's just elders here and there. It's in Acts chapter 15 that we see the first presbytery meeting, right, where elders from churches come together and make decisions for the whole of the church. But we'll get there. We'll get there. As it is right now, realize that encouragement is happening, right? Encouragement and spurring on. And one of the ways that God chose to use Paul and Barnabas to encourage the church is by not leaving the church to figure things out on their own. 
Y'all, I'm a Presbyterian minister, not because I like the name and not because we have a good dental plan, though we do, right? And not just because we're old providence here. I'm a Presbyterian minister because I am convicted by God's word that the Presbyterian form of church government is that which has been established by God. Why do I say that? Well, because of what we just read, because of what we are going to read in Acts chapter 15 concerning how the church is supposed to work. Do you realize that the church is not just supposed to be about one person in charge? You know, here at Old Providence, uh, people always are surprised by this. I am not a member of Old Providence. I am a member of the Virginia Presbytery of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. I'm a member of the session at Old Providence, which is made up of the elders at Old Providence, but I'm simply the moderator of the session. I am a member of the Presbytery. This is all about checks and balances, and the whole purpose of that is I do not run Old Providence. Old Providence is not my church in terms of my possession for me to to lord over things. No, I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way the Lord has set up the church to work is not for the pastor to run the show, but instead, as we just read, God set up his church to be run by elders who are chosen. And we don't find it here, but if you fast forward to Timothy and other places, you find out the requirements for elders. And they are stringent, y'all. And it, it just so happens that this coming Sunday, this coming Lord's Day, we will be electing elders. Old Providence members, make sure you're here, right? Because we're voting. We're, we're electing three new elders. We're on a rotational system. But y'all, this is the way that the Lord has designed things to be. It's the only way <laughs> that you can ensure that there's not a runaway dictator and that sort of thing. It just works. And I've seen it work beautifully. It doesn't always work perfect because elders are men, pastors are men. I didn't. But nevertheless, that's why I'm Presbyterian, because I'm thoroughly convinced of two things. Number one, the Lord has established elders to rule over the church. We see it here. We'll see it in Acts 15. It's all throughout the New Testament. By the way, it's all throughout the Old Testament as well. But I'm also convinced of a second thing, and that is there is no such thing as the independent church, Lone Ranger Church, just out on its own. Churches are linked together under Jesus Christ, who is their head. As a result, decisions for the whole of churches, for the whole of the church, must be made by the elders of the church. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I don't want to get too far into to what we're going to cover tomorrow, but realize why the Lord has done this. He's done it as an encouragement, so that it's not you and me just trying to figure out how we're going to run things. Instead, God has given us a system. And what we find here is that Paul and Barnabas helped to choose elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasted committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Verse 24, after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. What work is that? 
Verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, what we have is, is, is an overall blanket statement of the work of Paul and Barnabas that they set out to do exactly what they said a couple of chapters ago, that they were called to be lights to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles received the word. Y'all, it's a beautiful thing that we've witnessed. It's a dramatic shift. Started all the way back with Peter and Cornelius. Well, actually, it started before that, but nevertheless, in terms of our time together, we're seeing the fruition of this. And in seeing the fruition we're seeing the faithfulness of God, that he always keeps his word, that his gospel cannot be stopped. As far as our daily devotional thought is concerned, let this be an encouragement to you. As we look at what goes on in the world around us, whoo-wee, scary stuff, concerning things, don't know what's going to happen. Well, we kind of don't. I mean, admittedly, things happen every day where it's like, goodness, where did that come from? <laughs> right? I, I didn't see that coming. But aside from that, while we never know the intricacies, we do know certainly that Jesus is keeping his word, that he is still, as he was then some 2,000 years ago, he is still building his church. And as a result, you and I and all those who know him we have the right, the responsibility, but the grand privilege to be a part of what he is doing. As it was with them, so let it be with you. Be encouraged that the Lord is working. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for Acts chapter 14, and we thank you for the encouragement that Paul and Barnabas worked, including the fact that you have revealed here just the first glimpses of this system that you have given to us that instead of me being in charge or one man being in charge or anything like that, instead it's, it's that the church chooses men for themselves to be elders and they rule over the affairs of the church. Father, we thank you for the system that you have given. Let us be faithful in it. And even now, just in the life of old providence, I pray for the men who will be elected this coming Lord's Day and I pray your blessings on them, those who are serving now as well and all those who have. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Again, if you're around Spotswood tonight, come on out. 6.45 to 7.30, we have our Bible study and prayer meeting. Perhaps I'll see you then, but if not, hopefully we'll see you on here soon. Take care.